Amen. Come here, Tom. Here, come up here. Now, that's Tom Autry. He didn't introduce himself. Didn't want to be introduced, so I'm introducing him. He's a... He and I sometimes cycle together. We get out there on the river trail and we cycle. But now, I used to be a DJ. I used to spin records and all of that. And Tom is one of these people that God raised up in the 1970s in the Jesus movement to write songs. And it, this is really going to date me, but all the way back to second chapter of Acts and Nancy Honeytree and Barry McGuire and all these people that were big in the 70s and uh, that really blazed the trail musically for the Jesus movement. Tom was one of them. And I used to get calls all the time requesting his records and I used to play them. So this took me back. I'm spinning another disc today, letting him, introducing Tom. He wrote that song. So isn't that great? Tom, bless you. Love you, man. All right, how many of you love the Word of God? I want to encourage you today about uh, talking about the giant you're facing. Most everyone in here has one, a giant that you're facing. And I want to read about the ultimate fighter. We're going to read a few verses on the ultimate fighter. I'm closing out the Bible Blockbuster series today, and we've named every one of these, these sermon titles after a reality TV show, and most of you have seen Ultimate Fighter. It's pretty self-explanatory. Whoever wins is the ultimate fighter. But there is an ultimate fighter in the Bible. His name is David. And we're going to jump right into the middle of his story. And let's look at what it tells us. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine. Get this, with a sling and with a stone. That's why this story is so famous. You go, you go what? A sling and a stone, he brought down a total warrior with a sling and a stone. Struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. The Bible wants us to know that. Go back. We, I missed a, just one sentence before the end. There we go. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And God got a great victory. God wants you to have a great victory. God wants you to win over your giant. So we're going to look at how David did it today. Father, thank you that there is victory in Jesus. That Jesus is the ultimate David, the ultimate fighter. Defeated death, hell, and the grave. Defeated the devil. Now, Lord teach us today that we can win the victory over our own giants and thereby, Lord, have a testimony in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them you're going to win in Jesus' name. God is good. 
If I were to go anywhere in the world and ask somebody, what is your favorite, or what do you know about the Bible? What story do you know? Virtually anybody, if they knew anything about the Bible, they would know the story of David and Goliath. It's the most famous Bible story. Has all the ingredients of a great movie. Fearsome giant, a paralyzed army, a young hero up against impossible odds, and then a headline-making victory that rocks a nation. This young man, David, went from a zero to a hero, just like that. It's an incredible story, and the story in a nutshell is this. The Philistine army had gathered for war against Israel. This was an army of giants. These were giant men, huge, natural fighters. And a Philistine giant, the champion, measuring over nine feet tall and wearing full armor, came out every day for 40 days. Amazing. Mocking and challenging the Israelites. Now what was happening is it was an intimidation campaign. And this is what the enemy of our soul does. He goes on an intimidation campaign with you and me, uses a giant to do it. Intimidation campaign. Every day this giant came out and mocked the army. Who do you think you are? You're not so great. You're not all that. And then mocked the God of Israel. And that's what the giants in our life do with us. They mock us and they mock our God. They challenge our God's power. They mock us for believing God. They tell us that there is no victory in God. They come against our faith, against our belief system. They come against what we're about, our identity in Him. Tell us we're wasting our time, that it's old-fashioned, that it's antiquated to believe the things we do. We ought to get up to speed, be more modern. And so these giants, this Goliath is a type He is a type of every giant in every life of every person. And everybody in here battles some giant at some time. And you know who your giant is and how your giant gets to you. Nobody has to come up and say, hey, you've got a giant. No, I know I've got a giant. And that giant particularly has a way of getting to you and and, and, uh, getting your attention and weakening you and, and defeating you if you let him. So here we have this personification of every giant we face. Saul, the king of Israel, and the whole army of Israel are terrified of this one man. Now I'm six foot one. Imagine a giant three feet taller, half my length. He's muscular. He's girt in armor. It says wearing full armor. Came out every day mocking, challenging the Israelites, making fun of them. We see that the giant Goliath had succeeded in his intimidation campaign and that the the entire army of Israel were terrified, quivering in their tents. A very sad sight to see because, listen, this was not who God called them to be. It's an incredibly tragic sight to see Israel quivering in their tents over one man, one man. They had brought down giant after giant and taken city after city, but that was then, this is now. Something has happened to them. Their entire reputation as a nation had been one of the great God, Jehovah, working with them, vanquishing their foes, and rendering them undefeatable. 
The Bible tells us that as Israel moved from city to city in the promised land, that when the enemies of God knew they were coming, that their hearts melted with fear over these people because they knew it wasn't just them, but the God of the universe was with them. And everywhere they went, they won. Everywhere they went, they got the victory. That was their reputation. So to see them all afraid, hiding in their tents over this one man. There's something really wrong with this picture. Israel under Saul, because there is trickle-down leadership. That's the principle. Israel under Saul had declined into a nation of cowards that have forgotten who they were in God. And i got to tell you, church, when I look at the church today, I have to think that there are some of us There are many churches and many Christians throughout the nation who are in this very condition. They are quivering in their tents. They're not standing up. They have forgotten who they are in God. Let me tell you who you are. You are conquerors, more than conquerors, through him that is in uh, Jesus Christ. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? It said, he always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ. We are the winners and not the losers, above and not beneath. Blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in our going out, blessed in our coming in. We are, we are on the winning team, the winning side. That's who God's called us to be. But just like the Israeli army of old, as Goliath came out every day, I, I think that we have submitted now to political correctness and we have allowed the enemy to intimidate us, to put us in a spirit of fear a fear of speaking up for Christ, a fear of taking a stand for the truth, a fear of witnessing and a a fear of really letting it be known that, hey, we are the Lord's and he is ours and his banner over us is love and we are children of the King and we're proud of it and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God put on us a boldness again as there was in that first century church who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. One day, David, the youngest son of Jesse, was sent to the battle lines as this giant came out every day. He was sent there by his father, Jesse, to get word on how his brothers, who had been sent to the battle, were doing. Well, his brothers were afraid, terrified, intimidated, just like the rest of the soldiers. So David goes onto the scene, and and right when he gets there, here comes Goliath. And he comes out mocking the army and mocking God And David heard it. And it was okay when they mocked the army, but when they mocked God, something was triggered in David. Like it ought to be triggered in us when our Jesus is mocked and ridiculed. He said, mock me all you want, but you mock my God, you've crossed a line. Because he's my God. He's my shepherd. He's the one who leads me through the valley of the shadow. He takes my hand. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because of him, my cup runneth over. He's the God I love, and you shouldn't mock him. The Bible says he heard it. And immediately we see something in this young man, David. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? In other words, dude, who do you think you are? And David immediately volunteered. Not just to join the army, but to personally go out against this giant. I love this young man. It took some persuasion, but King Saul, what a guy, finally agreed to let David fight against the giant. 
It should have been Saul. But here's a teenager coming in. He's a teenager. He's about 16 or 17. Think of the 16, 17-year-olds you know. And here comes a 16 or 17-year-old saying, I don't know who he thinks he is, but he's mocking the God of Israel. He's mocking my God. I'll go up against him myself. Now Saul hears this and says, you've got to be kidding me. You're just a youth. You're just a ruddy youth. You can't go up against him. He's a professional soldier. Well, Saul finally agreed and dressed in his simple tunic and carrying his shepherd's staff, slingshot and a pouch full of stones. David approached Goliath and Goliath looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me. This is the best that Israel's got. You're sending me a kid who doesn't even have armor. Are, Are you kidding me? What an insult. Send me a real warrior. And he mocked him and hurled threats and insults at David. But now David speaks and we find out what God has done in the heart of this young man because there is also a giant in David. But it's not a wrong giant. It's a good giant. It is the giant God of Israel. Listen to what he says to this giant. He looks right at this guy that has terrified everybody else and he says, you come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now that's powerful. In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And now listen to the faith in him today, not tomorrow, not next week. It's going to happen right now, giant. Today, I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air. The vultures are about to have a major feast because of what God's about to do. And the whole world, I love this, He wanted God to be known in the whole world. The whole world is going to know there is a God in Israel through the victory that's about to happen. And then David said, it's not by sword and it's not by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Let me tell you about your giant. When your giant attacks you and intimidates you and threatens you and robs you and defeats you and gives you all kinds of hell on earth, can I tell you the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. The first key to a victory over the giant in your life is to realize that when he attacks you, he attacks him. And God cares more about the giant that is harassing you than you do. And God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that he will show to you today because he's going to bring your giant down, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. That habit is coming down. That fear is coming down. That doubt is coming down. That financial crisis is coming down. God has your giant in the hollow of his hand. And it looks big to you, but it's no big deal to God. As Goliath moved in for the kill, David reached into his bag and got one of those stones, put it in the sling, and sent it into Goliath's head. Finding a hole in the armor, the stone sank into the giant's forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. And I'm going to tell you, that sent a major shock factor all through the Philistine army and God's army looking out from their tents. They suddenly see this giant that has intimidated, uh, intimidated them for 40 days and nights. He hits the ground. The Philistine army didn't even see the stone coming. He was so accurate with it. It went like a bullet. David walked up 16, 17 years old. Think about it. 
took Goliath's sword, killed him, cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. So the Israelites pursued, chasing and killing them and plundering their camp, just like David had told Goliath they would. Wow. No wonder it's the most famous story in the Bible. What a victory. What a young man. What a God in that young man. Shows me you can be really young and do a mighty exploit for God. You can be really young, and I mean shake the world for God. Now, this was not only a great military victory, but we got to understand that essentially at its root, it was a great spiritual victory. This was very spiritual, what was going on. God's called people were under attack, and they were being attacked by giants. And this great giant, Goliath, chief among them, was very spiritual. The Philistines were Israel's avowed enemy. They stood in the path of God's people, taking the land and fulfilling God's promise to them. Just like your giant stands in front of you and doesn't want you to have love, joy, and peace, doesn't want you to have victory, doesn't want you getting victory over that habit, that your giant stands in front of you and intimidates you to block you from your promised land. But then along came David, and we got to look a little bit into his history. Where did he get this? Well, prior to his great victory over Goliath, David had been alone in the fields with his sheep. Taking up his harp, he had become an avid worshiper of God, penning the best-known poems in the world called the Psalms. Psalms 23, no better-known poem. He had gotten to know God when no one was around. God knew that there was one day going to be a Goliath coming against God's people. And so he had a secret weapon in the shadows. Just like he's got a secret weapon, many of them right now, in the shadows. And they're going to step onto the stage of the world. Right when it looks like all is lost, God brings his own giant killers out. He calls them out of here and he calls them out of there. Nobody knew their name. They have been taught in the shadows. They have learned how to worship God. God did not teach David how to use a sword, how to use a spear, how to use a bow and arrow. He taught him how to worship God because there is power in worship. When Jehoshaphat had a great army coming towards them, he sent the worshipers out, sent them out first in line, and they worshiped God. And when they worshiped God, he defeated the enemy, confused the enemy. They turned on themselves. David learned how to worship God in the shadows when nobody was looking. And we know that he learned how to operate in the power of God because he himself testified to Saul. One day I was watching over my sheep and a bear came out of nowhere. And he grabbed one of my sheep in his jaws and something came upon me. And I went out and I grabbed that bear by his beard and I killed him with my bare hands. And when I let go, I walked off and fell apart. Not really. Sometimes God will give you a victory and you walk away and you go, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. What was I thinking? The power of God came on him. So he said, so I'm now understanding that when there is an enemy, my God strengthens my hands. 
My God comes upon me in an anointing of the Holy Spirit. My God empowers me to defeat the bears of my life. And see, what God wants us to understand is the lion and the bear that you're dealing with right now, those, those enemies that are attacking you in your private life, they are not there to defeat you. They are there to teach you how to move in the power of God. Because what you defeat in private is going to empower you to bring down a Goliath in public. Every battle you're facing is Holy Ghost Class 101. So he defeated the bear, and then here comes a lion. A lion grabs one of the sheep. He grabbed the lion with his bare hands. Same thing happened. Kill the lion with his bare hands to protect the sheep. And David said, there is somebody other than me who is with me. I am finding that there is a great God who is with me. And so when Saul said, you can't defeat that giant, David went back to his resume, went back to his history. And he said, let me tell you what God has taught me when nobody was looking. He, I killed a lion and I killed a bear with my bare hands. And as God gave me the power to kill that lion and bear, he's going to give me the power to bring down this giant. He's coming down just like they did. God wants to ha give you a testimony so that one day you can look back on that testimony and say, if he killed the lion and killed the bear, then I can kill this too in the name of the Lord Jesus. He had the privilege and the, the, not the good fortune, but God kept him away from being under the influence of cowardly Saul. And he hadn't been fellowshipping or running with Israel's backslidden army. He had been alone with God, taught by God, prepared by God, custom designed by God to walk onto the stage of history cut from another cloth, made and designed and prepared by God. Now, what we want to see today is how did he win? How did he pull off such an incredible victory? What did he understand that we should also understand about spiritual warfare? Let me give you three quick things. One, David was decisive. David was decisive. We find in our story that Israel had been waiting for 40 long days to begin the battle. For 40 days, they allowed this giant to come out and taunt them, intimidate them, mock them, defeat them. Day after day, and it only grew worse. So they were paralyzed by indecision. They sat where they sat and didn't do anything for several reasons. One of them, everybody was afraid of Goliath. He seemed invincible. Nobody wanted to go against him. Not even King Saul, who was the tallest man in all of Israel, not even he stepped out to fight. Also, we find geographically the sides of the valley where they were were very steep. Whoever made the first move would have had a strong disadvantage and probably would have suffered great loss. So both sides were waiting for the other to attack first. And they were paralyzed by indecision. As I was praying over this message, God told me to say something. He said, somebody in here needs to make a decision. Somebody in here needs to make a decision. You've been walking on the side long enough. You've been on the fence long enough. Somebody needs to make a decision. You know, Elijah said to Israel, he said, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. See, there is power in making a decision. There are some things that are not going to happen in your life until you make a decision. 
When Simon Peter was in the boat looking at Jesus walking on the water, as long as he sat there, nothing happened. But when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you, and Jesus said, come, he, he made the decision and stepped out of the boat. And when he did, the power of God took over. You see, because a decision activates faith, and faith activates the power of God. Some of you, there's nothing happening in your life like you wish there were because you haven't made a decision. Some of you need to go ahead and decide that God is good all the time, that he is my Lord and Savior, and that I'm going to go ahead and give him all of me because he gave me all of him. I'm not going to walk on the fence anymore. I, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to be 110% sold out to Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to be a little here, a little there, little in, little out. James warned against double-mindedness. James said the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let not that man think that he shall receive, receive anything from the Lord. Being double-minded, double-minded, double-mindedness brings instability. We're at the time of year when you see all kinds of dead squirrels in the road. Have you noticed that? Whenever you see a dead squirrel in the road, let me tell you what you're looking at. You're seeing a squirrel that didn't and couldn't make up his mind. It's true. You watch them run out in the street. They do this, boom. I don't like it because I like those little creatures. I like God's creatures, but every time you see one in the middle of the road, you're looking at a squirrel that couldn't make up his mind. And there's a lot of Christians run over today due to indecision. Amen. Due to indecision. I, I can see you. Do I go here? Do I go there? Do I go all the way with the Lord or do I stick? Boop. And you come walking in. You better preach me up. If you'd make a decision, you'd come in filled with the Holy Spirit. How long are you going to halt between two? Make up your mind. Make up your mind to get out of that habit. Make up your mind to get out of that relationship destructive to you. Make up your mind to go on with God. Make up your mind to come to Christ, maybe for the first time in your life. Make a decision. The fa devil's favorite word is someday. God's favorite word is today. Second, we see that David refused worldly solutions to a spiritual problem. Watch this. Once it was decided that David would fight Goliath, here comes Saul. And Saul tried putting his own personal armor on David. Now remember, Saul's the tallest man in Israel. He's a double extra large. David's about a medium. And he tries putting on his armor on David. The Bible says, so Saul clothed David with his, with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. I picture David like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz right about now. He's doing like this because the armor doesn't fit. And he can't move in it because he's used to being totally free. He swings a sling. But now he can't hardly lift up his arm. And the Bible says, David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. Very important. He had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these. 
for I've not tested them. I've never taken these into a battle. They're not tried and true for me. It might have worked for you, Saul, but it doesn't work for me. God hadn't taught me to lean on armor. He's taught me to lean on his power. He hadn't taught me to use this. He's taught me to use that. I don't know how to fight in armor, but I do know how to get a rock out of a brook and put it in a sling and bring a giant down by faith. That I know. The word for tested means proved. David had not used this kind of armor before and found it cumbersome. Now, in Bible typology, Saul's armor represents carnal, worldly, man-made methods and solutions. Saul's armor was the best the world had to offer for the defeat of Goliath. But David understood what Paul the Apostle would write centuries later to the Corinthians when he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not man-made. They're not fleshly. They're not worldly. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't fight spiritual battles with worldly weaponry. We fight the devil with spiritual weaponry that God has given to us. And what is that? Jesus said, in my name, they will cast out devils. What did David say to Goliath? I come against you in the name of the Lord my God. The word of God, that's our weapon. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's spiritual weaponry that the devil cannot stand against. We fight our battles by faith. I'm going to give you and the whole army to the vultures of the air today. That's what's going to happen. I'm looking at this through the eye of faith. So Goliath, get ready. You're coming down. Faith. One writer suggests that David rejected Saul's armor because there was no miracle in it. That is, if he had won the battle by using Saul's armor, the glory would not have gone to God. And I want to assure you, when God brings your giant down, the glory is going to go to God. When God brings a real giant down in your life and my life, he wants us to say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. He did this. He gave me the power. He gave me the anointing. He gave me his word. He moved in my life. And the giant that had mocked and taunted me for so long has been brought down into the dust. And I am a free man, a free woman, and I give glory to God. Fears, doubts, lusts, confusion, habits, giants come down when you use spiritual weaponry. And David knew it. David's attitude was, this giant is a spiritual battle. And it's going to be won by faith, not man's best effort. There's no miracle in Saul's armor. Using man's methods to fight a spiritual battle is like trying to put out a forest fire with a squirt gun. You can't do it. The devil doesn't care about man's best methods, but he cares a lot about the name of Jesus and the word of God and faith and prayer. Are you fighting your giant with Freudian psychology or with the spiritual weaponry of the word of God? Put Saul's armor off and put on the armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel sandals, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and having done all, stand. 
Now the last thing we see David doing. David viewed the giant through eyes of faith, not eyes of fear. It's not what you see. It's how you see what you see. Because I can look at a giant through the eyes of faith and say, he's coming down, just like David did. Or I can look at the giant with the eyes of fear and say, where's the nearest tent or cave for me to hide in and live my life out paralyzed by fear? That's not God's will. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Faith always changes the way you view a giant problem or an impossible situation. You remember when the 12 spies were sent over to check out the promised land? Moses sent 12 spies over. He said, go check it out and come back and tell me what you see. Tell me what you saw. Tell me your take on it. Bring back to me what you saw. Well, the first report came back from Joshua and Caleb, who I love. These are men of faith. It was the viewpoint of faith and courage and victory. Caleb said to the people who wanted to know, well, what'd you see? What was it like? He said, let's go up at once. Let's go right now and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. You don't hear him talking about the giants. You don't hear him describing all the terrible things they saw. You just said, hey, he said, we've got it. Let's go right now. It's ours. Come on, church. Do you see how he saw what he saw? The second report came from 10, 10 other spies. And theirs was the viewpoint of defeat and hopelessness. And what these 10 men did, they sowed such unbelief by their bad report that an entire generation that was called of God to cross the Jordan and go over to the promised land died in the wilderness. Their bones were bleached white in the sand. They never tasted the fruit. They never brought any of the giants down. They never enjoyed their own acreage in the promised land. They were kept from it because here's what these 10 men said. The men who had spied out the land said, we are not able. What did Joshua and Caleb say? We are able. What did these guys say? We're not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. What are they focusing on? The people. Joshua and Caleb didn't even mention the people. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, There we saw giants. Woo! And we, we were like grasshoppers. Boing! Boing! I don't know where they got grasshoppers. What a terrible thing to compare yourself to. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. There's the key. In our own sight. It's not what you see. It's how you see what you see. And so we were in their sight. Oh, really? So you were like grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. Let me ask you a question. Did the giants ever say to the spies, hey, guys, you know what you remind us of? You remind us of grasshoppers. Did they? No, they never were told that by the giants, ever. It was the way the spies viewed themselves that made them think that others saw them the same way. That's why one of the first things God wants to do in people he's going to use to do a mighty exploit, he doesn't magnify who you are, but he will teach you who he is in you. 
the power of who he is in you. He will teach you that you will say with Paul, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. There's not anything I cannot do. I'm a can-do person through Christ who strengthens me. But they said we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so they projected their self-image onto their enemies. And they said, well, since we feel so small, we know they see us the same way. If you think you're a loser, you will believe that everybody around you is also thinking you're a loser. If you think you can't do it, you're going to project that onto others and they're going to believe or you're going to think they believe that you can't do it. But when you wake up and say, I can do all things through Christ, you're going to believe that other people believe that about you. And that's why before they got to this condition, all of these heathen pagan nations were terrified of them because they knew who they were in God. But they had the grasshopper mentality. They had a grasshopper complex, and so do some of you. And I say that in love because I've had it before myself. When you've got a grasshopper complex, you don't do anything, believe for anything, take anything, because you don't believe you can. But here's how you overcome a grasshopper mentality. You've got to remember who you are, whose you are, and where your power comes from. Now, let me answer it quickly for you. Who are you? You are a creation of Almighty God made in His image. Bad English, but good preaching. God don't make no junk. He doesn't make junk. You are a creation of Almighty God. You did not come out of some primordial soup that turned into a single-celled amoeba that after trillions of years and chance decided to become you. You were and are custom designed by God. Now, whose are you? You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are an adopted child of God, ransomed through the blood of Jesus. You have incredible value because God considered you valuable enough to send his son to die for you. You are his and he is yours and his banner over you is love. You are the Lord's. And where does your power come from? Your power comes from the Holy Spirit planted in your heart when you first trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So when you know who you are, and whose you are, and where your power comes from, the way you see yourself changes. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, you've always been unstable, but let me tell you, you're going to be a rock. Jesus always told them who they were in God. He didn't look at what they were that day. He looked at what they would one day be. And when I look at you, I don't see who you are. I see who you one day will be. You are a mighty man. You are a mighty woman. You have a mighty God living in your heart. You can do exploits for God. Whatever God's put on your heart to do, you can do it. Twelve men went over, looked at exactly the same thing, but saw two completely different things. Ten saw an impossibility. Two saw an opportunity. Ten saw giants. Two saw defeated foes. Ten said, they're stronger than us. Two said, they're our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Ten saw certain defeat, while two saw certain victory. What made the difference? The way they saw what they saw. One looked through the eyes of doubt the other through the eyes of faith. And that's what made David different from all the army of Israel. 
They looked through eyes of fear. He looked through eyes of faith. And like David, if we look at giant problems and impossible situations from God's perspective, we have confidence. We know God will fight for us. Can you stand with me today? Now let me summarize this for you so you don't forget it. What made David an incredible ultimate fighter and winner? He was decisive. He made his mind up. Some of you today need to make a decision to follow Jesus. When you make that decision, it's going to change your life. Two, he refused worldly methods. Whatever your giant is, pick up this book and defeat him with it. This is your sword. Third, he looked at his giant through the eyes of faith. Are you facing a giant problem or an impossible situation today? I want you to stop for a minute and refocus. Ask yourself right now, what eyes am I viewing my giant with? Eyes of faith or eyes of fear? Can you see the situation from God's vantage point that you're going to win? He always causes us to triumph in Jesus Christ. Do you trust that God is going to fight with you and for you? Instead of viewing him as being against you? I'm going to give you a quick testimony in closing. I didn't finish high school. I didn't get past the ninth grade. I missed 10th and I missed 11th and I missed 12th. He said, well, how'd that happen? Well, they kicked me out and I decided to stay out. I was a very rebellious I was the kind of kid I today would want to slap. <laughs> Few people did, by the way. But I was trouble. I was a very angry young man. Now, I got saved in juvenile home. Heard the gospel for the first time, sitting in a juvenile home at 16 years old. Well, that night I gave my heart to the Lord and my life. And I said, if you can make anything of the mess that I've made out of my life, it's yours. That's a very powerful prayer to pray because God will take you up on it. Well, a couple of years later, I'm minding my own business and the Lord said something to me. He said, I want you to go to college. <laughs> college. Now, I thought I was telling him something he didn't know. Lord, I guess you don't know. I didn't finish high school. And the Lord said, I want you to go to college. How am I going to go to college? I found out about a thing called a GED. So, went and took the GED, passed it, went into junior college. Now, you got to understand, no 10th, no 11th, no 12th, no high school. Now, I went in there. I had a decent mind, but still, I'm playing catch-up. One day, one of my teachers called me out in the hall. And real delicately, she said, Jeff, are there any holes in your education? And I said, and I'm going to admit to you, I confess to you, I kind of half lied. I said, well, a little bit here and there. I was afraid she'd kick me out of school. She said, okay, I just wanted to check. And then I knew the jig's up, it's out, she sees it. But I worked hard. I graduated with a B average. Decided to go for more punishment and went to UNT. 
And in UNT, it was twice as hard. University of North Texas in Denton. So one day, I reached a point where I just felt like, this is it. I went into the restroom there in the building, went into one of the stalls, shut the door and locked it and sat down and I began to weep because I felt so overwhelmed. And I said, Lord, I just can't see me doing this. And I thought he would agree and say, I get it, you can withdraw. How many of you have ever hoped that God would say that to you? How many of you are hoping that today? Don't let me see your hand. I don't know why I know what you want to withdraw from, but that's what I said. And I found that he didn't agree with me, that he saw something totally different. And he said, you're going to do it. You're going to succeed. You're going to finish. Okay. And I walked out. Do you know that in my last year, I got a four point straight A's. I decided to go on. Amen. Glory to God. He brought the giant down. Now I decided to go on for more torture and got a master's. And then I went for even more torture. I was 10 years in graduate school, 10 years. But by the time I was done, I loved college. I didn't want to graduate because I didn't want it to end. I loved college. You say, you really did lose your mind. Well, you see, what God did is he showed me this insurmountable, impossible, how can I do this with no high school at all? That was a giant that I overcame. And I learned this about my giant. He wasn't there to defeat me. He was there to teach me. He was there to show me I can do all things. Now, that's not the only giant I've ever faced by any stretch, but that's a good example. Your giant is not there to defeat you. Your giant is there to show you who you are in Christ and that you've got the victory. Now I want us to bow for prayer, can we? If you're battling a giant today, I want you to lift your hand to the Lord God. You're battling a giant. I want you to lift your hands high. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be ashamed of him. Lift your hand high to the Lord. I'm battling a giant. You know what the giant is and so does God. I want you to think of David and I want you to say with David with me right now to the giant. Say today in the name of the Lord my God you are defeated. You're coming down. It's already done. The victory is mine. You'll no longer taunt me threaten me, mock me, or make me miserable. My God has defeated you, and I serve notice that you're coming down in the name of Jesus, and by the Word of God, and by the power of His Spirit. Now with our heads bowed, maybe somebody today can say, I need to make that decision, that cutting decision, that decisive decision to go on with God, to come to Jesus, to give him my heart, to follow him 100%. If that's you, would you lift your hand today? Say, it's time. It's time for me to go on with God. I see you. I see you. And you. It's time for me to make a decision so that God's power can undertake. I see you. God bless you. 
I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I decide to walk with you 100%. That you would be Lord of my life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. Now, in just a moment, 